0: take action and fail faster than you ordinary would have. I really kick myself sometimes when I think about something. If you thought about something for three months, you just lost three months of your life. You're better off trying it and failing rather than thinking about it. So what I would tell people is I'd rather you fail than think about whether you Thanks. could succeed.
1: Welcome to Star of the Doubts. I'm your host, Jared Easley, and our other official co-host is Kamanzi Constable. kamanzi how are you doing, sir? I'm back. I'm back He's from the
2: hiatus where you were doing solo shows and doing who knows what. So I know <laughs> listeners are anxious <laughs> to me, right, guys?
1: Well, in fairness, you
2: had to take a trip to
1: Wisconsin. We won't get on a tangent there, but glad you're back, glad things are going well, and uh, we're all excited about 2015. And today, I'm excited to talk to Chris Kramitzos. He's Passionate about helping grow the Tampa Bay Business Owners Group and other e-marketing groups. He's a speaker and trainer. He's an entrepreneur. But Chris has done some amazing things in Tampa, and we're going to get to that today. Chris, welcome to the show. Yeah,
0: thanks for having me on, Jared.
1: My absolute pleasure. So, Chris, we always ask everybody the same question. You've heard the show, I think you know this is coming. The icebreaker is: what is the best concert that you have ever been to?
0: Okay, so this is, I'll preface this because I don't go to a lot of live concerts, but the best one I have personally attended was Michael Buble. In concert just a few years ago, and that was probably because I got to enjoy that with my wife, and he is one of the best showmen. Now, I ask my friends this question because I'm a very inquisitive person, and the person that comes up more often than not is if anyone's ever been to a Prince concert, they will say that Prince was the best live act they've
1: ever seen. All right. I have not so, seen Prince live, but I've seen him. I remember he, he did the Super Bowl a few years back, and that was pretty cool. Yeah.
2: Hey, Chris, have you uh listened to any Taylor Swift?
1: actually
0: believe it or not i'm a huge fan of taylor swift I, I would like to see her live in concert
2: thank you thank you chris you are my new best friend I,
0: I love taylor swift so i uh when she came around town i could not get tickets and as jared knows i know a lot of people i even asked people that worked at radio stations if they had any extra passes and they're like look dude you got to get tickets when those things come out because <laughs> and she must have had like eight touring trucks with her and I remember Rihanna had come to town a week before, and she couldn't sell out the concert. But Taylor, you could not get tickets. It was the hottest ticket in town.
2: That's amazing. You hear that, Jared? <laughs> I she's believe like, it.
0: She's <laughs> a showwoman. Show you know, she knows how to put on a show. She's just amazing.
2: So, Chris, uh, they, we're going to do...
0: that Jared, but <laughs> that's how I feel.
2: Chris, we're going to move on now to a little bit of finish this sentence. Are you ready? Go ahead. You sure? Yeah. All right. Speed networking is... Is productive when put in the
0: right framework.
1: So Chris, what you do a lot of speed networking. Why do you do that?
0: Well, we do uh, speed networking twice a year and then at special events. So there's different kinds of speed networking. So most people, when they hear speed networking, the very first thing they think of is speed dating because that is <laughs> the most popularized version of speed networking is speed dating. And there's uh, different ways to do speed networking. You could do a chair to chair, which is uh, very difficult because uh, one side has to move while half the people talk in the room and it's too loud. We do a very unique version of speed networking. I actually had an actuarial out of Wells Fargo, a friend of mine, create a formula where we do it in round tables of seven, seven tables of seven, and you get a little card that tells you what table number you go to next where you never meet the same person twice. And then I prompt the questions of what we're about to answer. So instead of pushing yourself, what I'll tell people is it's 10 seconds. Tell them who you are, what you do. And then the very first question I'll put is like an icebreaker, like you guys just asked, what's a favorite concert you've ever gone to? And then the second question I will tell them to answer at this roundtable speed networking format would be, uh, tell us how you helped someone with your business. What was the situation and how did you help that person solve their issue? So if you direct speed networking in a very different fashion, it's extremely productive and it's a way where you can meet 40, 50 people. And out of those connections, you're going to make two or three strategic alliances, which could be worth quite a bit of money and time for
2: someone. And Chris, i heard something recently from a woman named Vanessa Van Edwards, and she's kind of like a language, body language expert. And she was saying when it comes to networking and stuff like that, the reason why it's not a success is because people are too boring. They ask the same questions, they ask boring questions, because you're the expert. Is that what you find? Do people just need to ask better questions?
0: Yeah, yeah, better questions, but it's uh you're being forced into a forced, social, awkward, intimate moment. That's really what networking is for most people. And most of us do not like meeting new people without having a reason to go in there. So you really got to know how to pick and choose your battles. The way I built my network was by creating value by hosting meetups. And I became the leader of those meetups. So for me to build my network was a lot easier because I was in front of the room. But then I helped connect the room and we became a family. And if you could do that, then everybody lets their guard down. So when you go into a network, the best way to meet people is if someone else is introducing them to you. Now, if you don't have that, you haven't built up your network enough to have another person introduce you to what I would do back in the day when I really didn't know a lot of people, I would meet one or two other young guys like myself that were starting out, but they were really good people like integrity was key for me. And then I would say, look, let's go network. Let's do this. I said, do me a favor. When you meet someone, can you introduce them to me? And when I meet someone, I'll introduce them to you. So then we would pass people back and forth to each other. At the end of the night, we knew the whole room and everybody thought we were the ones running the event.
1: That's a smart strategy.
0: one <laughs> other. It was really uh, like in dating. What do you call it? It was a wingman, a wing person.
1: <laughs> Chris, I'm glad you brought up meetups because we're absolutely going to talk about that. Before we get to that, you told me a story once. I was in Tampa. I visited one of your meetups. Uh, you were gracious enough to invite me to come out to that. And I remember afterwards, we had dinner, and you told a story, that, and I later saw the video of this. It just blew my mind, how you used to have a TV show, and you were featured on the news around the world. This was several years ago. It was like a Jerry Springer-style fight that broke out on your local TV shows. So you got to share that story. I think it's too cool. Well,
0: it was a political debate show. And what I would do is find back then Craigslist was like the be all for the internet. You could find pretty much anything you wanted. You still can in some ways, but you can't find, I used to find talent on Craigslist and I found this radio guy out of uh, a couple counties over. And he was a hardcore Republican. Then I found the guy that was a pretty big Democrat. He happened to own the world's famous Monsvina Strip Club here in Tampa. And he's also a politician. He runs every year. Never wins, but he runs every year for something. And uh, I had the two of them on the show. And towards the end, they got in such a fight. I remember we were discussing something about Israel. The weird part is it was the third time they had met each other in debate. This time, they both flipped the opposite viewpoints. In other words, the Democrat hated the Republican so much, he took the Republican side. The Republican took the Democratic side, so they could like mind meld each other, like they were trying to beat each other by reversing their. (laughs) It was really weird. But at the end, unfortunately, the one guy, I guess his childhood issue was his weight. So the other guy goes, "Well, what happened was the one pundit called the other pundit a liar." Well, the one guy is not a liar. If you asked him, "Hey uh, Joe, did you ever do crack?" He'd like, "Yeah, about twenty-five years ago, I did crack, and I was under a bridge (laughs) living there." Like he, that was his hot button. Well, once he was called a liar, he said to the other guy, "He goes, if I'm a liar." tell everybody that you're fat because you're fat, aren't you? And it devolved into a childhood fight. But unfortunately, the one guy that was called fat stood up, tore off his mic. This is live TV, so I couldn't do anything about it. I'm watching this happen. Luckily, <laughs> it was the last two minutes of the show, and I'm I'm in this surreal bubble, Jared. There's a piece of me that was like, oh, this is going to be great. It's a fight. And then there's another piece of me like, this is not cool. This is actually going out over the airwaves. Like, they're everybody's watching this. And um, when the other guy left, If anyone's been in an old school TV studio, right, there's a lighting grid. You cannot see past the lighting grid. So if I'm on set, I can't see what goes on behind the cameras. You could barely see your camera person. After that, everything's a blur. This guy picks up like a 40-pound stool and wings it across the entire set and hits the other (laughs) guy in the head. And it was called the chair herd around the world. We actually, back then when it happened, we crashed AOL servers. And that was a big deal because everybody would go to AOL. They kept hitting the the clip so they could watch the chair hit the other guy. Luckily, he survived, and I, I really do mean that. The guy was uh, sixty four, sixty five. The chair hit the table first, and the table was like solid wood, so it took a beating. And then it hit his temple, but it didn't hit him as hard as it could have. And then um, the press basically picked it up. We got on three hundred affiliate outlets: Fox, CNN, CNBC. You know, Today Show. Craig Ferguson played it that was the, and then we created a little multimedia clip but it must have been seen by 100 million people. I still get people like, "Oh, that was your show?" I was a young guy then trying the funny part Jared is I was like 27 28. I combined their age, like I don't know how I did this, but while all this was going down it like slow moed for me. And in my head I'm thinking <laughs> these guys are like a combined age of like 110, which is like triple my age and I'm the guy that's supposed to be stopping this bite? Like, come on, man. And it was just funny. It was a really ironic and crazy moment, but it I made a lot of contacts and I was able to license out that clip to a lot of different networks.
1: (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, you know, when you showed me that video, you had told me the story first and nothing prepared me for when I actually saw that stool hit that dude in the face. And I'm going to put that in the show notes because it blew my mind. I was like, I can't believe, I don't know how I would react if something (laughs) like that happened right in front of me, especially on live TV. Pretty, Pretty
0: And it was the only time my director hit the mark on like putting our logo last five seconds. You guys know how production could be different. It's the only time this guy did everything right. Like, the only time is when chaos hit. And every, all the yeah. news networks were like, did you plan that? Because it was like, it looked like we couldn't have planned it better, but it was all real. I mean, you don't plan for someone to you know almost kill a guy with the chair. They thought we staged the whole thing. I was like, nah, I, I can't stage someone getting up. And But, anyways, I got other stories for another day, but crazy stuff. Wow. You know, we had a lot of fun with that show. It was a great concept.
2: I appreciate you sharing that. All right. Chris, it's going to be hard to transition from that (laughs) because now that's going to be on my mind. I want to see that clip. But let's talk about uh, meetups, Chris. And I know I'm very interested in this. I know a lot of people are very interested in meetups because we see them. We know they're effective, but we just don't know a lot about them. So tell us how you were able to start small meetups and grow it into a thriving organization.
0: Well, meetup.com, just for people that don't know, started back in when Dean, what was the guy's name from Vermont? He was the politician that was running for president. I forgot.
1: Dean Kane.
0: Was it Dean Kane? Okay, that's
1: right. No, no, Dean Kane's Superman. That's uh, what Dean, I, was yeah, I know who you're talking Cain, about. But
0: that's not the name. But anyways, Howard Dean. Is that it?
1: Right? Howard Dean. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, when he was running Howard um Dean. meetup.com started and they wanted it to be a grassroots political organization where people could organize like spontaneous meetups for political rallies. That's like the history of Meetup. And they realized he they were using it for his campaign and all of a sudden he was getting like 3 400 people showing up at his rallies and all the other politicians are like we're only getting 10 and 12 what are you doing and meetup though transitioned because people like myself said wow this has a practical application where i could host a meetup for people to meet up and talk about a subject so that's the basis of meetup it's a forum a platform and what i did was i started doing it in i think oh nine was the first time i started it in the beginning of oh nine i started a meetup to help people with internet marketing i realized that in the marketplace there was a lot of people a lot of confusion with web 2.0 with uh, WordPress wasn't a standard yet. There was a lot of different things and we didn't know anything. So I hosted the first meetup. I used to blog every day back then. I had a WordPress blog. And uh, I used to blog about a teddy bear named Commander Blue and oh, his God. life. And wow, that's so funny. The, the DNC is calling my house while we're talking about Howard Dean. That's weird. <laughs> uh, not my house, my in-laws house. But anyways, so the, the long story short, I, I said on my blog, hey guys, let's get together and have a meetup about internet marketing. And we we had it at a village inn, which is like a local breakfast you know uh, place. And unfortunately, I posted the wrong address to the village inn, so I went to one village inn. Everybody else went to another one, and I had total chaos on my first meetup. So then I called everybody up, and I got about six people to show up at the one village inn where we were gonna post it. And they had a great time. And I said, guys, I need your help. I said if you thought this was a value, I need you to attend, and I need you to attend frequently, and I need you to tell your friends. And I basically started that grassroots. So all of a sudden, it turned into. Uh, six people to 10 people to 15 to all of a sudden had 50 people showing up. I monetized it right off the bat because uh, I realized I didn't want people coming for free if I was going to be doing the work of creating a really well-formatted meetup. So I charged $5 and I made it voluntary in the beginning. Eventually, I made it mandatory. It became our tuition for the event. And that meetup grew to about 50 people. And from there, I split it off into three different meetups and then four. And I've probably done... And I think I told you, Jerry, I don't know what the exact number is, but I know I've done well over a thousand meetups in the last five and a half years, at least. I used to do them every week. Now I do them once a month per area, per city that I'm in here in the Tampa Bay area.
1: But this has grown to a point now where you actually have people who help you put together these meetups. because so You couldn't be doing meetups as actually, often. As- uh,
0: this next year, unfortunately, I've, I was doing so many meetups, my health took a toll. So I had like, I got blood pressure, which is crazy at my age. So What I do now is I have other people basically hosting all the other meetups, and I will be facilitating them by just helping them. So I actually, uh, Jared, all my meetups except for the podcasters meetup that I added this past year will be hosted by other people.
1: Okay, so th- yeah, this is interesting. So, for someone who's listening and saying, hey, I, you know, similar to what Kamanzi said, I, I believe meetups is a great way for me to start growing my network in 2015. What advice do you have for someone who wants to start their own?
0: Well, first thing, um, I've seen a lot of people try and start meetups and they quit. It's the same advice you hear people give in podcasting. Most people quit within their first two or three meetups, or they don't do them on a consistent schedule. So, here's a couple of tips one is make sure you have a consistent timeframe and a consistent location. That really helps because then people know, oh, okay, there's the writer's meetup. They meet at the local whatever at this time every first Friday of the month or every first Monday or Tuesday. It really doesn't matter what day as long as you're consistent because your audience will find you. The other thing is have a structure to your meetup. Different structures work differently. When we first started, our structure was I would start with the question of the day. So it would be similar like the question you asked, what's your favorite concert? Uh, The only rules I had for questions were I would not ask anything religious or political. So I would ask all kinds of crazy stuff. I've asked people, what's your favorite drive in the world that you've ever taken? You hear really cool answers. Then I I have some announcements. I'll say, hey, I have this event coming up. So I have my own little mini promotion time for myself. And then I bring a a speaker to share something of value to the group. And then at the end, we used to do goal setting where I used to have them set goals for the next week because then they would show up the next time we met and we would see how they were doing on their goals and if they needed help. Now what we do at the end, we've transitioned is we have people literally, they have 10 seconds, they get to say what they do, who they are, and then I have them network and meet each other. And what happens at a meetup, because it's a small group of people, the networking is really rich. Because if you have 10 people and you have time to talk to each other, people will stay after. It's uh, not uncommon for most of my meetups for people to stay an hour after networking and meeting each other.
1: No, I I can testify to that. I've been to one of your meetups and that's exactly what happened. So Chris, so someone can go and start their own meetup. I mean, let's talk about how do you get the word out? Where are some places to try to have it? I mean, they, these are questions I think most people would have give me, give me some if they're niches, trying to do that. Some
0: niches you're thinking about, and I'll tell you. Give me a couple niches that you're thinking off the cuff so I could give you some.
1: Well, well, okay, so so Kamanzi uh, he, he's a writer, right? And so if he wants to have a local writer's meetup where he lives, what would be okay, some so ways writing, he could implement meetups that? meetups
0: are really rich. I have friends I've helped. Actually, one of our attendees started one of the largest writing meetups in Tampa Bay. And he was inspired because he saw what we were doing. He's like, you think I could do it? I go, yeah, absolutely you can. So writers want to get together. So you have to have a central theme of what it is you're trying to do at that writer meetup. So the writing meetup that we have, That my friend Colin started was aspiring. He called it aspiring writers. So he was targeting people that are not yet full-time writers, but they're aspiring to be full-time writers. That struck a chord here locally. And he wound up getting two, 300 people on his meetup. And anytime they meet up and he turned it over to someone else, Uh, they get anywhere from 12 to 18 people every other week. So one thing is I would tell you is find a local bookstore or cafe in the city that you're in that is conducive to writers to meet up. Make sure it's okay that you could be loud and you could stay after. So consistency of location is first. You got to lock down a really cool venue, especially if it's for writers. Then create a format. What's the format? Remember, everybody is showing up. They don't know what the format is. And they're apprehensive of even showing up because they're kind of scared. Who am I going to meet up? What's Mm. the format? Is it going to be easy for me? So you want to make it easy for people to connect. So the first thing you do is you have someone at the registration table. Welcome them. Give them a name tag welcome to the group and introduce them to someone that's already there. And then, then you start your meeting and, and your meeting has to have a subject. So if it's writers every month, you should have some kind of subject that they're going to learn about. So writers want to know about self-publishing. They want to know about how to get more clients. So you focus it on, you know, two or three core concepts. And then when you meet them, you have to always preface that it's important that they're loyal to the meetup. In other words, if they don't attend, this meetup cannot be possible. If that message is not shared, then they don't show up. They just show up whenever they want to learn one topic instead of creating a community. That's really key.
2: Very interesting. That's well said. Well, let me ask you, Chris, what are some common mistakes that people make when they're running meetups?
0: They're very unprofessional. And what I mean by that is they'll set it up at a bar Unless (laughs) unless it's a dating or if it's a meetup around a subject, okay, where people want to learn. Because a lot of meetups are educational then you don't have it at a bar. That's mistake number one because what happens is the noise of the bar crowds it out. People are talking, but sometimes the meetup host thinks, oh, this is great. Look at them talking. But the people when, because I ask people all the time, how was your meetup? And when they go to other meetups, they'll tell you they will go, it was confusing. It was disorientated. It was at a bar. I only met one person. I really don't know if I walked away with anything. A really great group of people, but I guarantee you uh, many times they won't show up again. So what happens with those bar meetups is they have a lot of new people coming through all the time. But in order to create a base, Tony Robbins said this, you got to go deep and wide. And what he means by that is you got to have deep connections with these people. And if you know a lot of people and you have deep connections with a lot of them, you could succeed really easily because of that deep connectivity that can be created at a meetup with a lot of different people. You get a lot of diverse people showing up at a meetup.
1: So Chris, you've been doing this for a while now. So you have consistently you know, a large group or reasonably sized group that's coming to these meetups. But for someone who's starting out, you know, how are they going to promote that? You mentioned meetup.com. Are you using Facebook. Eventbrite or Facebook? Like, How do you use Facebook? Well,
0: Eventbrite I wouldn't use unless... I would use Eventbrite if I knew I was going to have a decent amount of numbers because people look at the how many people are registered. Eventbrite has an algorithm. It'll put an event up. If it has like 20 people registered. So I'd only use Eventbrite if I know I'm tracking some good numbers to get it up on their event listing. They have a service where they list it. But I use Facebook mainly. And what I do with Facebook is I invite people to a meetup, just create an event and I invite them. And then the link I put in the event description is my meetup link. So then they could go register at the meetup or they could come through the Facebook event. Either one of those two is basically what I do. And then I also invite people that are subject matter experts and they tend to have their own followings. And they'll also blast out a little email or a tweet or Facebook. Oh, I'm speaking at. XYZ meetup, I'm so excited. And then their base is like, wow, I didn't know we have a meetup in our town about XYZ. If it's about writers, I would go to every local independent bookstore. I would see if I could put it up on Panera Breads and Starbucks and I would post. If anything is about music, audio or podcasting, I would post signs up at Guitar Center or Sam Ash. And the main thing is when you're posting up on those places and make sure you have no prices on your flyer because they won't put it up there if there's if you're charging. On the flyer. If you just have, hey, go to the online to come find us, then they'll go to the link and they'll find out that it costs whatever amount.
1: Are a lot of those stores willing to do that?
0: They are. If it's community-based, they are. And if you have a charity, we have a lot of charity in a lot of our different meetings. So if yeah. it has a community base and some kind of charity a- aspect, they will put it up there for you. And also, Jared, believe it or not, Chambers of Commerce, if you have relationships with any of them, if you're filling a need that they know that their audience needs, like a small percentage, five or 10%, they'll put the listing up on their website. They'll have like bulletin boards and they'll post it up there. And I get a lot of people from various chambers that want to learn about different subjects.
1: That's interesting. So you just contact the chamber we, and say, we're doing this? Because
0: I've been doing this for so long, I've built up those relationships. So right. I'll call my friend and say, hey, well, how does it work? And they'll tell me and then I'll just follow their rules.
2: No, that's interesting. Okay. Chris, I've heard some really good things about the Tampa Bay Business Owners Group. Could you tell us about that?
0: Well, our group was started seven years ago and it was to help business owners grow their business via education, collaboration, and leadership development. And we took a really unique approach where you have to be a business owner to join. You have to have integrity, a positive mental attitude, and ability for growth personally and professionally. And once we screen through those attributes, We offer people an opportunity to enroll into our association. And that's created very special energy. And that energy has helped me create a lot of really cool community projects. So that's basically, I'll give you some. So some people might be thinking, okay, well, how does that make it different than any other group? We have things called success safaris. And a success safari is a business guided tour of a place of business with the business owner and the leadership team telling us how they built their company from zero to 20 million in the last 10 years, let's say. And they share us their organizational charts. They show us how they do things. And there's some really cool businesses in every city where the entrepreneurs are just doing like Zappos type of creative stuff. We have one uh, lady, Joy Jendusa, who we love. She owns Postcard Mania. She does about 22 million a year in postcards. I mean, that's really hard to do when you think the average order is like 5,000 postcards for a couple hundred bucks. She installed her own like uh, local buddy brew coffee. So she has her own little coffee station or Kawa coffee. She, She has her own coffee station. She has yoga. She has uh, her own gym for her employees. I mean, she does all kinds of stuff. She allows early young moms to bring in their kids if their job does not require them to be on the phone. So the graphic artists could bring in their children and raise their kids in the office as long as they get their work done. Pretty cool stuff. Chris.
2: With the success of a group like that, and I think we've seen this on a smaller scale with like Facebook groups, but whenever you have something successful like that, you always have those, I'm trying to put this nicely, maybe those spammy people, the people that are really salesy, they're really pushy of their stuff. What's your process for getting involved in like your Tampa Bay group? And what do you do about people that just kind of want to take over or come in there and sell and stuff like that?
0: That's a great answer. We actually have a screening process. No one could join unless we... Someone on the team actually physically screens through them. So if it's not a good fit, we'll refer them to other groups that we think would be a better fit for what they're looking for. If someone's looking for lead generation, we're not the group for them because, like you said, their desperation to get business actually impacts the group. So we actually refer them elsewhere. So we're looking for business owners that are looking to collaborate and looking to build their businesses with each other as a peer network. So we don't allow anyone to join online. They have to be screened by myself or someone on the team. And once we screen them, we allow them to join or we refer them elsewhere. And we also have a rule on like network marketing, even though we believe in it, we think it's great. It just doesn't fit our model as a business owner. We see them as independent contractors that tend to be heavy on sales. So we have a couple of rules on certain things that are not allowed to certain industries or pockets not allowed to join the group only
1: because it doesn't it's not conducive with our mission statement. Wow, and I, I would imagine you figured this out by doing it over several years. Yeah, we almost lost the group in doesn't. our
0: first year, Jared, because of what you know, Kamanzi just said is we had people that had their own agendas, and I went from I lost like half the group within a six month period, and they all gave me the same feedback. So I quickly installed rules in place not to go under, so I could be intact with the vision I I told everybody, and it was tough, but I'll tell you, it pays off now because I got people. We grow by word of mouth mainly at this point. And it's because we did a lot of hard work in the first five, six years of establishing
1: the group. Man, no question. I mean, I just had Neil Gilarte on the show. And I mean, he's just a raving fan of the Tampa Bay Business Owners Group. And he he was just saying, you know, I moved from Orlando to Tampa and I needed a network and I was able to find this group. And this has been the, the, you know, the solution to my problem. So, and now he's not the only one saying that. A lot of people are saying that. So congrats on that. You have amazing speakers that come, whether it's to your events or your meetups. How are you able to bring in such great quality speakers? I imagine you also have some kind of filter in place to prevent just anybody who thinks they can speak versus someone who really has great advice and insight to share.
0: So in the beginning, I used to just tell people, I used to help them create their PowerPoints with them because I knew what the audience wanted. Because when you run meetups, people tell you what they want all the time if you're actively listening. And because meetups are so intimate, you eventually know exactly what you need in a presentation because people are telling you, this is what I need. Can I learn this? Can you have someone do that? So I would go back and forth with a lot of presenters in the early days and just help them build their PowerPoints, tell them, look, you need more visuals. Your visuals just don't work. You need a couple of technology tools so they could walk away with a tool that they could implement right after the presentation's done. So eventually, we had too many speakers come in. And I couldn't handle the flow because we had so many events. We created a speaker placement program where the members that have been speakers in the past sit in a room and they grade the people that want to present. Or uh, we have members that are presenting at a, like a national conference and they need a second opinion, right? So this is one of the few places they could go to. And they get a second opinion from a group of fellow members. It's done with a lot of love, but it's very brutally honest. And we do a thumbs up if the presentation's ready to go or not just yet. We don't do thumbs down. We don't believe in that. So then I deliver the feedback. And then I tell the person, here's the feedback that your members gave you. You need to fix X, Y, and Z. And once that's fixed, we could proceed. And I'll have you come back to the speaker placement program. And then once they give you the green light, we'll figure out where we could have you present or I'll refer you to other groups looking for speakers because I think this presentation is really great.
1: (laughs) Well, that would definitely keep out the uh, riffraff, so to speak. So that's a good uh, strategy. All right, Chris, uh, before we wrap up, I've got one other question here is you are currently doing meetups, but the meetups actually filter or excuse me, funnel people into other things that you're doing, like larger events. What's that process like for your meetups leading into events?
0: Okay, I'll give you an example. This past year, we launched the Tampa Bay Business Symposium. And I rented a 20,000 square foot facility. And just off the bat, the food cost was like $18,000, just food, mm-hmm. you know. And then you have, they charge you per electric outlet was like, I don't know, it was like $75, $100, something like that. per. If anyone wants to hook into electric. So it's like all these expenses. So now I'm like, okay, how do I work this backwards? So this is a success. Well, I set a goal of, I got to sell 400 tickets. We set the tickets at $59. And then what I do is i'll go into my meetup system and i'll ask all my see your meetup is your grassroots so think of it as your meetup is like an extension of you because those are the people that care for you they love you and i ask the people in my meetup what associations are you a part of that i could partner up with that could be part of this event and i will give them you know a discounted rate on a vendor booth so we could promote that association and i will In return, though, I need them to promote this event and I'll put their logo on the postcard. So we wound up getting something like 18 associations and everybody at the meetup, you know, they buy tickets. I'll give them a coupon code of like ten dollars off. So they get a forty nine dollar ticket includes lunch for an all day event. And all of a sudden, you're selling your meetup. Let's say you'll sell 50 to 100 tickets, depending on how big your meetup is. So now you have a baseline. You sold your first 50 or 100 tickets. Those are your hardest. And then after that, you just go to the different associations that your meetup friends invite you to. Like I said, they'll be my wingman or wingwoman. They'll say, hey, come to this lunch. I could introduce you. They introduce me around. And then you just start selling tickets every day. You got to focus on selling four, five, six tickets. We sold 425 tickets for the business symposium. It was a huge success. We had 60 vendor booths. We had four signature sponsors and uh, it was our biggest event to date and is thanks to all the connections I made at the meetups
1: <laughs> I love it Chris congrats on that all right so as we wrap up who's doing something that interests you who's doing something that interests me in
0: just anything
1: yeah it can be anything
0: right now my buddy Jeff Schneider who's in the group interests me he was uh, on our cruise this past year and he was talking about diversifying your investments and he talked about how to have different pockets of non-collateralized assets he had all this cool stuff but it, i'm listening to tony robbins uh financial book right now yeah. all the stuff he was talking about jeff was talking about so i'm interested in talking to jeff more about what he was talking about in diversifying your investments and and basically how to really compound your your money over time so that's something that i'm interested in currently
1: Hey, Chris, would you also give a quick plug for Katie and what she's up oh, to? Oh, yeah.
0: My wife has an amazing podcast called Biz Women Rock, B-I-Z, Women Rock. And she interviews amazing women all over the country about how they built their business, how they overcame you know the pitfalls and what they're struggling with now or what they're doing really well now. And it's really well received. She's got over 105 countries or something of women that listen to it. Earlier today, she was on a Skype call and the girl she was talking to was in Nigeria. So I don't even know how she gets all these people come to her. It's pretty amazing how podcasting has opened her up to a global community. And she has a cool Facebook group called BWR, which stands for Biz Women Rock Connect. And she has over 2,100 women. And she just started it literally 10 months ago. No, 11 months ago. Yeah, she's got over almost 2,200 women. And they talk, they help each other. It's just amazing. And her page has blown up. She's done a great job with it. So I think I suspect 2015 will be an enormous year for the Business Women Rock community.
1: I have no doubt. And Katie, I mean, she spoke at, at the podcast event that we did in Orlando and, and just absolutely crushed it. So I mean, love what you guys are up to. Really appreciate the two of you.
2: So, Chris, you've given us a lot of yumminess all episode. And I definitely want to connect with you. And I know others do. So tell us where we can connect with you online.
0: The best way is you could uh, you could send me an email. Actually, I'd rather talk to people directly. If you send me an email, Chris, uh, C-H-R-I-S at T-B-B-O tbbo stands for tampa bay business owners so it's uh, tbbo.org send me an email or find me on facebook i love talking to people and getting feedback about anything that they need help in but i put in a lot of time in meetups actually the one tip i'll give you at the end here both of you is there was times when i had let's say i was averaging 30 people showing up every week right and i remember once i planned the meetup and i didn't realize it was like veterans day or was like a national holiday or something and since I already had it on the books, I showed up because I was like, you know, people might show up and I have like six people show up. And the initial reaction most people have is like, oh, crap, what am I going to tell them? Where's the other 20 people? And that's the worst thing you could do. What I learned to do was when I had two people, four people or six people was it was better than having 30 because now I got to spend more time with my friends. And I would frame it that way. I said, guys, we're very fortunate today. Because we only have four individuals and we could really create deep, meaningful relationships out of this group that will have ginormous consequences on our lives. So let's use this time wisely. And Jared, I know for you, you've been to meetups where there weren't a lot of people in the podcasting space and you made relationships that have carried you to great heights with what you're doing. And if you weren't at that meetup having a good time, it wouldn't have happened.
1: Man, that's well said, Chris. What you're doing with meetups is really fascinating to me because I personally have seen how they can have an impact in someone's network and in their business. So I uh, really appreciate that. Do you have any final thoughts for the listeners?
0: Take action and fail faster than you ordinary would have. I really kick myself sometimes when I think about something. If you thought about something for three months, you just lost three months of your life. You're better off trying it and failing rather than thinking about it. So what I would tell people is I'd rather you fail than think about whether you could succeed.
1: Chris, I definitely want you to succeed and happy to help you any way I can. Thanks for being on the show and best wishes to you and the Tampa Bay business owners.
0: Thanks, Jared. Thanks, Kamanzi
2: Yeah, nice to meet you, Chris.
0: Same here. <laughs> Bye, guys. I've seen a lot of people try and start meetups and they quit. It's the same advice you hear people give in podcasting. Most people quit within their first two or three meetups or they don't do them on a consistent schedule. So here's a couple of tips. One is make sure you have a consistent timeframe and a consistent location. The other thing is have a structure to your meetup. Different structures work differently. When we first started, our structure was, I would start with the question of the day. So it would be similar like the question you asked, what's your favorite concert? And then I bring a speaker to share something of value to the group. The networking is really rich because if you have 10 people and you have time to talk to each other, people will stay after. It's uh, not uncommon for most of my meetups for people to stay an hour after networking and meeting each other.